Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the First Word Podcast on First Showing. Uh, my name is Alex, and I'm here with... Mike. And, and uh, Amon. Oh. Yes, our special guest today... No, our special guest today is Amon, um, who is a film and TV critic uh, based out of London. Um, and this made me realize we have this international group today because I'm in Berlin, Amon's in London, and uh, Mike's in Chicago, so we're all over the world. But thank you for coming on, Amon. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, and our discussion today is going to be about Black Panther, which opened to, I think, uh, at least based on early estimates, over 200 million in the U.S., which is awesome. It's a major moment for the Marvel world because this has been something we've all been leading towards, but also it's just an awesome movie for many, many reasons that we're about to get into. Um, where do you guys want to start? What We all loved it, right? <laughs> yes, I, I think I can speak for everyone here saying we liked it, right? That would be putting it mildly. <laughs> um, yeah. We can talk for hours. Don't worry, it'll be like an hour and a half. Um, it's, since this movie is such a huge hit right now, I think it's important to think about where it started because it didn't come out of nowhere. When Black Panther showed up in Civil War, like everybody lost their shit because that was easily the coolest character in that movie. Like I've been waiting for this movie since that first time Black Panther landed on his feet and didn't make a noise. <laughs> the amount of not only butt-kicking but character-building they had Black Panther do in Civil War is kind of incredible. He stole that movie. He was in it for about 20 minutes and he stole the entire movie. So the, you know, you mentioned the figures at the, at the head of this, uh, Alex. I'm not surprised. Um, yeah. I have been saying for the past, uh, I think two months ago, I first tweeted, I wouldn't be surprised if by when all is said and done, the numbers for Black Panther are right there with the numbers for Avengers Infinity War. Because there's an audience coming out for Black Panther who have never seen any superhero movie, let alone any Marvel movie, but who are coming out in droves first couple of weeks to see Black Panther and to probably see it at least one more time. And that audience, there'll, there'll be some of that between that audience and Infinity War because, not, not least because the Infinity War trailer, the smart thing of having it be basically 70% Wakanda. Um, but it's not going to be the same thing as the, the response, the, the, the thirst for this movie, at least, at least from that type of audience for Infinity War. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, just been, it's just been great to see this cultural moment unfolding uh, before our eyes. Yeah. And I wonder, did, was your guys' uh, experience in the cinema the same as mine? Like, I went to a, a late 11-15 show on opening night, and it was, like, wild. Like, the... There were just groups of people who were coming in, and um, this like one lady came in uh, within like the last five minutes. She's like, "Where are my black people at?" And like the whole theater <laughs> started cheering. And I was like, "This was in the middle of Berlin," and I was like, "What?" And then and then the rest of the movie, like any time, even in the trailers, any time a black person would come on screen, and there would be this huge cheer and applaud for them. I remember there was like a shot of Idris Elba in some trailer, and there was just like this huge cheer. And so the whole movie was just this awesome experience of just like anytime, anytime anything small would happen that was awesome, the whole theater would just erupt. And I've been to a lot of midnight shows like that, but this was like, there was just this electric vibe. It just like feel from the audience that was unlike anything I've been to before. And it was so much fun. And I'm so happy to be there on opening night. And it's like, I think that's what it was the whole world over, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, it was something I... It was, it, was, it was funny because in, in the moments leading, in, in the days leading up to me seeing Black Panther for the first couple of times, I was joking to people saying, look, I'm going to watch it at, you know, the UK premiere and the press screening, but I need to go to 
a you know once it comes out i need to go to somewhere where it's predominantly black because i've been i've been doing this for about seven years most of the time when i go to a press screening or a premiere i'm one of very very few if not the only black black person in the room so i was shocked when i go to the uk premiere and i have never seen so many black people come out for a premiere or press screening in my life the, it's, it was insane. I mean, literally, I was joking to people saying, like, literally, there's an English, it's like, it's like the difference between an English buffet and an African buffet. Both of them are called buffets. There's only one of those buffets has jello fries, fried chicken, and plantain. It's not the English buffet. I thought it was going to be that sort of thing for yeah. this. But the, you know, the, the, the predominantly black screening was the UK premiere and the atmosphere before, during, and after was absolutely insane. Like nothing I have ever experienced in my life. Any, every type of, you know, hairstyle black people who see, was there, from afros to braids, everything. They had the cosplay, and then just everyone was whooping and clapping during the film. Even mm -hmm. stuff we've seen in the trailers, hundreds of times people losing their minds. Obviously, every time Michael B. Jordan was on screen, black people went, or black women would lost their shit. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it was like nothing I have ever seen. Um, it was a very, very special evening, which I'm not going to forget anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, to jump right into the, the film itself, I think they it, it could not have been a more perfect choice to get Ryan Coogler for this. I don't know how that happened. I would love to hear like a full-on story of how they got him and, and you know how much back and forth there was between what he was saying he wanted to do and what Marvel wanted to do. But, like... Looking at it now, it's it, it was he was the perfect choice, and he 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 made this his own. But he also it, it is I will say it is still a Marvel movie, but he made it his own in a way that is remarkable. It's clear from not only his vision of what it is, but the way he filled the cast and crew with the right people. Um, the DP uh, I think it's Rachel Morrison, um, who could, who just got nominated for an Oscar for Mudbound. I mean, such incredible work there. From everyone in the cast and crew, just, just, it's just like every time someone will pop up in the cast room, I'm like, yes, like, I like um, the. I know we're gonna talk about her the whole time, but the girl from uh, since our last episode was in Black Mirror, but the girl from the final episode of Black Mirror, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, who who is becomes such a major role in this, like, I just like the moment I first saw her, I was like, oh, I got that little like joy inside of me, like, yes, I just <laughs> saw you, and now you're in this, and you're so good. And it's just so every little last element of that that he brought to this is 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 made it such a uh, an incredible experience. And I'm so happy. I, I knew I knew about Fruitvale Station. I'd seen it, and I remember it being an amazing uh, film. But I I think he sort of fell off my radar until Creed, and Creed was amazing. Uh, incredible just, movie. Really, like what? Right? It was this. It it took that whole idea of the Rocky franchise to a new level, and on its own was a great film. So I, now he's like, uh, you know, director number one. I need to know what he's doing next. And you find out he's doing this movie and you just sort of know that what he did with Creed is if he can do something similar to Marvel in, in general, he's going to have another hit on his hands. And, uh, and he, I mean, he delivered. But I've been, I've been excited about the movie for many reasons, but one being Coogler at the helm. I, I, I wonder what would have happened if it was a more traditional choice um, or if it was somebody who who didn't have a personal connection to this story and the reason I say that is because the line in the movie that stands out to me was near the very end when Killmonger says that who would have thought a boy from Oakland would be believing in fairy tales 
And I yeah, felt yeah. I felt like that was his little nugget that he put in the movie to say, that's me speaking right there. It's so distinctively, not distinctively black, but distinctively Kruger. I mean, for, right from the opening tip, you got that scene where you got those boys playing basketball in the makeshift yeah. hoop in Oakland. Even, you know, oh, there's so many things which just come to mind in terms of um, you wouldn't, I, it's hard for me to see uh, some of the stuff we get in this film come coming from any other director. And I love I love the fact that Marvel let him sort of you know really make this his own film. In my view, I call it Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, not Marvel's Black Panther. I think yeah. that really applies. And it's, ironically enough, I think it's when the film is trying to be typical, is trying to do typical Marvel stuff. Where I mean, it's, it's it's at its weakest, which is not to say that it's bad, but all the Ryan Coogler stuff is far stronger than all the typical Marvel stuff in this movie. Yeah, of course. Can you can you guys elaborate for me? Because I've heard this a few times now. You've both said it that sometimes the movie dips into that Marvelism. Uh, <laughs> like, what <laughs> well, is well, that? When well, I give me a few well, when, when I say that, I'm talking about the uh, specifically mo- mostly. I'm talking about the the final act. Which yeah. I think uh, you know, is still, you know, impressive in certain ways, like the fact that, you know, you you got several characters who who you've never seen before this movie, and yet by the final act, you know exactly where they are, you know exactly who they are, you're invested in what they're doing, you you know what they you know you know what they're all trying to accomplish. I think is a feat in and of itself, but the special effects in certain areas in that final act are really not up to scratch and it's, it's, it's frustrating because obviously this movie had so many other things going for it typically marvel is this is bread and butter superhero stuff and they again there's as these three scenes which come into mind right now where it's just like the special effects aren't quite there and that's that's typical marvel third act you know flashy stuff uh, I, I guess that's the marvelism I'm, I'm referring to mike yeah, no, I, I agree. He, he's right. That's exactly what I was thinking, too, is that it's kind of like the the formulaic Marvel concept is kind of that the whole structure of the film follows some sort of like typical path where it leads to something in the third act. And what I like is that this one kind of uh, bucks that trend in the first act. But then by the time we get to the third act, especially the whole like fight scene at the end, I was just kind of like, wait, why are we seeing this? After the Kree scene, which was awesome, and then we're seeing this like weird CGI. Look, it, it even looked like they were outside fighting on the grass, but it looked like it was on sound stages the whole time. And um, there were just moments in that in that final fight where I'm just not impressed by any of it. And um, I've heard a lot that Marvel previs. Uh, directs a lot of their major action sequences, sometimes even before the director gets involved. And that whole third act fight felt like that a little bit. Like, it just felt weird to me. And like I'm honest saying, it's not to take away from the film being great in other aspects. It just was a little bit of a, like, uh, odd moment to me from all that we've seen. And, you know, the, the only good thing is that Coogler works the characters into that final fight in a way where you love what they're doing by the end yeah. like you've got all of them going on um and like letitia writes her like when she finally gets her i don't know what you want to call them power gloves gauntlets. and it's just like yeah gauntlets that's the best yeah and it's like she's fighting and they still have their their sort of like quirks to them that that stand out in the fight like that all like comes through in a way that um 
it could have been more dull, but it isn't. So I don't know. That was that was my Marvelism thing. And you know, the other thing that is a Marvel thing, and I admit this from someone who's watched all of them, is that the the, the villain is usually pretty weak, and it always ends up to being the same thing, which is like interesting at first, but then isn't interesting, and then doesn't have much to say by the end. And this one kind of throws that for a loop, especially with Michael B. Jordan. Um, and that's a whole discussion we can have because his whole character as every critic has been discussing, isn't the typical Marvel villain. And he he's actually the kind of villain who, I know a lot of people have been saying this, they, you start to like side with him. You're like, well, he's actually saying good things and he's making a good point here. Of course, he's doing it the wrong way or he's he's sort of asserting himself, but also like he's got some good things to say. Um, and then it's also just Michael B. Jordan's performance, which is uh, like really nuanced in, in, in your feelings for him and, and watching him like just sort of step up to the throne and not give a shit about anything. So, and well, I, I want to get into Michael B. Jordan's character and performance a lot. So before we move into that one comment for me about the sort of what we'll keep calling it Marvelism, uh, is, is this thing. And this happens in a lot of action movies, but where two characters are fighting who inherently are, before the fight and after the fight, going to be on the same side. And they fight. And it, it just it irritates the hell out of me. I'm like, why do I need to watch Hawkeye and uh, Black Widow fight when I know neither of them are going to kill each other? They're just, like, punching to be away from the main argument. And uh, and it kind of happens here, where it's like the um, the... The main warrior princesses, so you guys can tell me what they're called if you know. I don't know. But uh, the main warriors kind of go in and fight. And when they're fighting Black Panther, it's one thing. But when they're fighting each other, I'm like, why? what are you doing? You And they have spears, and they're just bopping each other on the head with it instead of stabbing. So now I'm like, what? there's no violence. There's no potential death here. They're just sort of distracting each other so that we can have some action in the background while our two main characters fight. I'm not sure I agree because they have Wakabi, played by Daniel Kaluuya, and he's sort of trying to... He's fighting on Killmonger's side. So if, I guess if he wins that battle, then, you know, regardless of what the outcome... Let's say if you know, T'Challa still wins the fight between him and Killmonger, if he comes back up top now and the Dormalaje are, you know, defeated, you know, he's got a problem on his hands. Um, so, you know, I sort of get, you know, for, for, for me, the, the stakes of why they're fighting work. And then thematically, when you look at what's going on between Okoye and Wakavi, which is my only, my only answer to the major sort of gripe of the film is that I, that there needed to be more to that relationship to mm-hmm. really, you know, make that, you know, those, those final moments, but they have more impactful. But if you look at thematically what's going on there, I think that works. Um, so in this sense, I think, I, th- I think they're okay. So perhaps it's, 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 not, it's not that the stakes have to always be death, but the stakes can be disabling the opponent for the matter of, of sort of allowing the main story, the main characters to, uh, to have their moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything in this was framed around the introduction of being it being like, this is about Wakanda and this is about the tribes in Wakanda, which I really like about the movie is that it's about the stakes are Wakanda itself and the success of that nation and the survival of that nation. Within it, there are the what, five tribes in total and how they interact, um, which is much more fascinating. And I'll be honest, like the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I'm a little bit confused. And then when I see it again, I'm, I'll probably understand them all more. 
um, and they did a good enough job sort of differentiating them. But um, that's that's clearly the stakes here more than anything is. And I like I also like it in a reference to um, I don't want to get too political here, but just sort of the ideas of what the world and certain nations are dealing with, which is the like, how do you bring your quote unquote tribes of your nation together in a way where everyone can maintain peace and operate under one leader that keeps everyone together. Um, and that's kind of what a lot of the, the, the whole film comes down to is that idea of like leadership and managing your nation, which is referenced in the current political climate we're dealing with. The, the movie was deeply political in a good way. Yeah. To that end, uh, that first post-credit scene is one of my favorite post-credit scenes the MCU has ever done. I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it, but there's such a big pride aspect for me with this film this film that sort of very much exemplifies that it reminds me of watching 24 and watching dennis haysbert's david palmer one of my favorite tv presidents when he's sort of you know being who he is in, in that tv series reminded me of t'challa and um what he's doing in that scene and i'm very interested to see how they're gonna show of that side of him because you, you can see in this movie he's still growing into the role i'm intrigued to see how they're gonna show more of that side of him going forward in the MCU. And well, I, I sort of cut us off when we were about to get into Michael B. Jordan and Killmonger and, and all he brought to the table. I think it's worth revisiting that conversation. I mean, I've never seen a character like that on screen in um, a mainstream movie. And that's worth, uh, I think, discussing the, the way he speaks and the fact that he comes from an area of the United States where his character is representing not only that area, but that culture, and he doesn't change it to be a main, written like a mainstream villain character. He talks like in, in a truthful way, and, uh, and, it, and it adds an element of humor and sort of uh, dismissiveness to the language or the things he's saying, while also making it feel more authentic, which is just super cool. You know, I mean, going back to our opening comments, my theater was just having a great time every time he spoke because he would say things in a a dismissive way that normally would have a big monologue. Uh, He'd be like, no, I'm I'm your king now. And and I I love the simplicity of of his dialogue. And it comes through in his confidence, not only as a performer, but also as a character. I think the line, hi, auntie, best exemplifies that. The way, the way he delivers that is just so beautiful, perfect. He's really an incredible character. And I love what they do with the, the with T'Challa and Killmonger in this film because there's actually more similarities between those two characters than differences. It's just that the main difference is sort of the Killmonger being murdering. Um, but yeah, it's it's really interesting, the, the divide between African-Americans and Africans and how... how how they sort of bring that to the forefront with those two characters. The way in which they've both taken the grief of losing their fathers in different ways, and the fact that T'Challa has grown up protected in Wakanda, he's been shielded from everything that's going on, and T'Challa has, oh sorry, Killmonger has, you know, gone up outside of Wakanda with knowledge of Wakanda, and, you know, has seen all the things that black people have been subjected to. The way those two sort of, you know, storylines merge and, and meet is this is really really interesting to me and i think i think they do a really good job again this is something which any other filmmaker i don't think would have uh, been able to really execute the way ryan Cooper manages to here you can just see so many sort of personal touches in those in that in, those, in that storyline it's very impressive what i love about kim Unger too is he has some of the best uh not not just the best but like the most powerful lines in the film that sort of have that lasting impact 
Like there's the one at the end that is basically like uh, this isn't obviously verbatim, but um, where he says something like the, they would they would rather die than be subject to. Uh, I, I think the I word think, he uses. I but... think the line is. Um... Yeah, do you have it written down somewhere? No, but you're going to laugh, but I've watched this film, let's just say, a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm I, jealous. I, 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 I could quote a lot of it, but I've yeah, watched it five times. Um, awesome. but, uh, but I think the line is, throw me in the sea with my ancestors because they knew that dying was better than bondage. Yes. Um, yes, which which is, so which, is uh, which is just very uh, the, the fact that that line is in a Marvel superhero movie. The fact that it's in any blockbuster, but it's, it's, it's in a Marvel superhero movie, is just crazy to me. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm glad that they sort of let yeah, that but line and, and yeah. spoken by a villain too. Where it's like yeah. you you normally take villains' lines, you say, oh, he's saying bad stuff. That's not you know you shouldn't listen to it. But this is spoken by the villain in a way where you're like, damn, that's that's legit and good and we should be listening to him i mean that, that line blew me away and uh and and what i like is that you can see t'challa soaking that comment in and the very next time we see him he's speaking at the un essentially taking all the things he heard killmonger say throughout the film and applying them in a, a little bit more uh diplomatic way and I think that's what ultimately makes him so interesting as a villain. I think we all know the most interesting villains are the ones who don't realize they're the bad guy or that they're doing something wrong. I don't know if he wants to be hated. I mean, he thinks that there is a misguided attempt at doing something with the resources and he wants to repurpose it to help people who have been ignored. So that's a huge theme right there. But, but he doesn't necessarily run around acting like he's not the bad guy. I mean, he's cocky about it, right? The the high auntie line. So I, I find him to be a really interesting dichotomy between those two things. A, a villain who knows he's the bad guy and a villain who doesn't know he's the bad guy. And having our main character soak that in and take apart the things that he can do about it. Because it wasn't just Killmonger who had that message in the movie either, right? It was, uh, it was his ex, Lupita Nyong'o. Nakia. Yeah, yeah. Right. So she, I mean, she actually presented that idea earlier in the film than Killmonger even did and said that we should be sharing resources because she's been out in the real world and she's seen the struggle that other people have and go through. So, man, there's just so many themes to unpack, but it's really interesting to see a villain um, have things to say that can be not only applied within the movie's universe, but within the real world and have you think for a second. Because you see a lot of these movies, they think they're political or they think they make some grandiose statement about life in the real world, but they don't. They're empty, and 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 this is far from that. Yeah, this makes me want to um, segue slightly into the, the the way women are presented in this film because it's so amazing. <laughs> I mean, not only I, I mean I could talk about Lupita Nyong'o and, and the way she. I, I'm I'm so glad it wasn't a conventional love story. Like they were already broken apart. Like that's great. That's subverting the normal thing. But also. Um, Letitia writes uh, Shuri as the cue of the movie and basically playing the whole idea that it's like the the, the most smartest technologically capable person is a woman. Awesome. And then um, uh, I don't know how to say her name. Uh, uh, Danagaria. Is that someone correct? Yeah. Uh, but. But her her character, oh my God! I mean, these those two are the MVPs for me in the whole film. Um, and just the way she's so. Uh, 
has a like the most badass presence and and there's absolutely no shame in T'Challa having women be his bodyguards not at all like there's no there's not a single second of questioning that there's not anything about that and I love this, the way they're so present in that in that aspect without even questioning any of it because there doesn't need to be of course but it's just so refreshing to see that um, and I, I'm just bringing this up because Mike, you mentioned it with Lupita Nyong'o's character. I just felt like even she's great. Like every last one of them is great and has such a strong role that is not relegated to some side position, but it's just there throughout consistently. Of course they are. Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no mention of it because in, in Wakanda, it's just normal. Yeah. There's no sort of, you know, hashtag feminism or whatever. It's just, you know, they, they've grown up without the influence of the Western world and, you know, women are just allowed to be what what you see in the movie. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but th there's there's so many things through the women we see which we just we've never seen before. We've never seen a dark skinned woman speak Korean before. Speaking of which, this this film has the most subtitles out of any Marvel movie, easily. Um, you know, just 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 seeing that is something we haven't seen before is even though I'm, I'm i'm also cautious i'm jumping ahead of it ahead a little bit here but i'm excited to see what the blockbuster landscape is post post black panther um because obviously it's doing things on such a level which we haven't seen before even though we've been here before with you know films like straight out of compton hidden figures um girls trip that have been critical and commercial successes but nothing's really come of it i'm really hoping black panther changes all of that yeah, this makes me mention something that I was reading on Twitter that that I thought would be perfect, which is that they were saying that um, uh, Shuri would be an awesome replacement for Iron Man. Like if Iron Man gets killed or booted out or something in, in Infinity War, she's the best version of that kind of character. Not, you know, donning the Iron Man suit, but just like the technological whiz who just appears in every Marvel movie from now on, you know, getting people's suits together weapons or things like yeah. that and i'm like i would be down for that more than anything See, please i've 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 heard that but one i'd rather i prefer that they introduce vv williams who's the current sort of iron man or iron heart in the comic books really uh, great okay. character but i think what they're going to do because they have the kid from iron man 3 he's in infinity war according to the cast list so i think they're setting him up to take the mantle on um uh. which you know, on on the one hand, I get it because you know, they had good chemistry in Iron Man three. And I get that, but at the same time, it's just like, man, I wish we could introduce VV Williams right now. Um, but yeah. Well, I do, I do just want Shuri to almost have the Q role in every Marvel movie from now on. Well, I think if you and if you look at the big picture of it too, um, yeah, she's like the Q. Right now, when all the characters interact in the Marvel universe. Hulk or Bruce Banner and Iron Man are the two smart kids in the room who have their little cute banter about technology and developing technology and all that, right? Well, if you throw Shuri in the mix, obviously she's going to be a new voice in a room um, that looks very different than her, that comes from a, a world that is much bigger than she's used to. And I think she's going to bring a lot more to the table because they've never seen the technology she's come up with. Like you said, Amon, I, I also don't really... I, I hope she has her own role in the universe and she mm. represents something completely different while still contributing. One other thing that is really cool about the females of this movie is the fact that the relationships are so unique, especially when you look at Okoye and 
Wakabi, right? Th- those two having a relationship was such an interesting decision. Um, and you just wouldn't, like, it made me think outside the box a little bit. How do they, when do, what do they do? Because she's a warrior. Her life is committed to being a warrior. He's on the outskirts protecting the border. When do they even hang out? Like, what do they do? How did they <laughs> fall in love? What's going on here? Um, and I, I would be, I'm really curious to see how that develops, especially now that they have a little fun tension. But um, it played an important role in the movie, obviously, to help set us up for him kneeling to her and creating a bit of a truce because Wakanda is more important than personal relationships, et cetera, et cetera. It's interesting because I've, uh, in the weeks since I've been reading about sort of, um, there was meant to be actually a relationship between Okoye and Ao, um, which they cut from the movie. And then added added that mm-hmm. Okoye-Wakabi relationship. So um, I'm interested to see, to hear how they got to that point. Um, I was just discussing with a few other people um, because it, it looked by by what we've heard about what that scene was, it would have just been like a one scene type thing. And while I think that, you know, that representation is very important, um, I would like to see Hollywood do more than just sort of nudge and wink at it. Like if you're gonna do something like that embedded into the screenplay of the film and really, you know, explore it. Um, Cause especially- yeah, you know, Dipping their toes in the pool. Exactly. Same thing with I mean, Wonder Woman. Yeah, Wonder Woman, Beauty and the Beast, uh, the the new Fantastic Beast movies coming up. Um, you know, that's the the last of the news story about that was a bit controversial because of that reason. So, yeah, um, would have been. A part of me thinks it would be nice to see, but a part of me thinks that if there was just going to be a one scene type thing, then maybe it was for the best that it didn't make the cut. And and I will say, um, of all the people in the film, the the women do stand out. There's no question. I mean, they're amazing. They're well written. They're funny. They're tough. Spin us, spin us for all of them, please. Oh, yes, that would be yes. so good. That would be so good. And who knows who will be left after Infinity War? Maybe it's just the women. <laughs> they're smart. That's what <laughs> they do. Be, I would be down with that. But yeah. um, but I have to say, I really want to call out Winston Dukes in Baku. Yes. Be- because this dude was hands down my favorite part of the movie. And, and maybe it's got something to do with the fact that his cadence reminded me of Bane. And, uh, and I thought that was cool. And, and just like his overall joy. And he, he was, his characters is having so much fun. And then he throws in a couple jokes. And you just, you just want to see more of this guy. And I know we're going to because he's, he's in Infinity War. I don't know to what extent. If you, if you look closely... That shot of T'Challa going back into the throne room at the end—he's—he's—he's he's, he's in that room. So he's now—I think he's, he's replaced Wakabi as like on the council. Again, I've seen the film five times. Some of the things I pick up. But um, the one yeah. thing in the movie I want to keep studying is his little subtleties, um, and I can't wait to see more because I mean he's brand new. So whatever this guy does, I'm gonna go see that movie. Yeah, yeah, but this is a testament to Kugler's casting again and just finding this guy and putting him in there and directing him well enough to get that kind of performance out of it and directing the whole cast well enough. Like, not not just thinking, oh, he's a side character, let me focus on T'Challa, but, like, like giving everyone their chance to really shine is one of Kugler's great talents, and I, I love him for doing that with this. Like, he's sort of put everyone in this movie in a position to now break out in their own way and that's exciting. That's that's what makes this movie beyond just being a great movie by itself is that it is it is 
an achievement on its own, but it's also allowing everyone who's involved in it to to go beyond just this movie and have a chance to do even more. Well, I think that's an interesting point because I actually, in some ways, feel like he could pick anybody he wanted, and he he chose really well with all of these actors, but many of them have already established fantastic roles that they'll be remembered for before they even stepped foot in this movie. And yet he still had the composure to pick a guy who was new, who hasn't had a role people know him from already, and put him in a really cool character where, like you said, he can now take a step out into the light and say, uh, I'm a great actor, give me great roles, and he can get those great roles, but he can also continue with this cool character because he's in a universe that continues to expand. But there are just so many famous actors in this movie, and... You know, I mean, every single one of them felt like the right pick. None of them felt like some kind of, none of them felt like some kind of Marvel um, trying to um, say, "Hey, we're hip. We know what's cool, and we'll we'll cast these people because you like them." Um, they cast the right people for each role, and I think that was a that's a really thin line they could have made a lot of mistakes on, um, and they didn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, watching and reading interviews, um, you hear that, you know, Kugler was really receptive to the point of letting each actor own their characters and have that input. And you can see that coming across everywhere, um, you know, from Angela Bassett to Peter Younger to the Niger River. And you can also see that behind the scenes as well. I mean, the attention to detail in the production design is just phenomenal. Hannah, Hannah Beachler. The, the cinematography by Rachel Morrison, fantastic. Um, it's just really, really impressive in, in so many, so many ways. Yeah. Aman, I want to ask you, what you mentioned that you've seen it so many times, you've picked up on the little details. Are there any little things you can say that you found that you like can share that yeah. now I can look for the next guy? Because I want to pick your brain for a minute now that you've seen it five <laughs> times. Okay, well, well, there's two things that come to mind, which just really astound me in the attention to detail. So the first thing is, if you remember in Captain America Civil War, and they they do a replay of it, um, actually in this movie, but in Captain America Civil War, T'Chaka, he touches T'Challa on the face, um, does, does that little gesture, I'm not sure if you remember, but they have young T'Challa do the same gesture, or young T'Chaka, sorry, do the same gesture to young T'Challa when uh, T'Challa is first going into the ancestral plane. And they could have absolutely done nothing with that gesture from Civil War. Absolutely nothing. And you know, no, nobody would think about it twice. But the fact that they used that and traced it all the way back to something T'Chaka and T'Challa did when T'Challa was younger is just amazing to me. The fact that they're paying attention to detail on that level is sensational. So that's one thing I noticed where I was just, you know, blew my mind. The other thing I noticed is that you know, and obviously in the build-up to this, I, you know, I, was, I, I told myself I should stop, but I couldn't stop watching all the videos and the clips and the featurettes and what have you. And one of, um, and one of the things that I watched was a featurette on the Dora Milaje, and the Nike River was talking about how they fight as a unit, and we see them fighting as a unit in that fight against Killmonger. And when they fight as a unit, they're very formidable. The door that Killmonger kills, she gets killed because she strays from her squad. There are several different ways they could have written that scene where, you know, you know, Killmonger is just like that good, where he just kills her, whatever. But 
the only reason she gets killed is because she strays from her squad, and that's why she gets that's why she gets killed. And it's just that it's, it's the attention to detail, the stuff, I mean, stuff like that, which still it doesn't sacrifice the character building that they've done, and it's it's just it's hugely impressive to me. Yeah, the the, the one other thing, which I I kind of I I sort of thought of it on the first film, the second film, really to the film landed with me also is that when um, Killmonger takes the throne, uh, when he first when he's first walking into that throne room, they do a beautiful sort of Dutch angle. Everything is sort of topsy turvy, upside down because you know Killmonger is now you know leader of Wakanda. But then when T'Challa retakes the throne, everything is back to sort of you no. Know, Normal, normal frame. Um, everything is normal again. Everything's back to back to the way it should be, and yeah, that's a nice. Again, nice little touch by the DP Rachel Morrison. I was expecting complete innovation, uh, cinematography-wise, and there were two moments that really stood out to me. And I say that still having expected more somehow. Creed set uh, the bar so high <laughs> that I was expecting the the world, but then I realized I, I saw it a second time. Um, and it really does take a second viewing to see all the little pieces that he put into this film. Um, not realizing the first time that that whole casino fight was a, was a single take. Now there's some hidden cuts in there. You can sort of tell, but, but it's essentially presented as a single, um, a single shot. And that was the kind of thing. Cause that's the moment in Creed that just was like, holy shit. Um, and, and he sort of brought it back here, especially when, um, like they're going from the second level to the first level and the camera's sweeping around. And it's just a really innovative way to attack a fight scene. And it's what I've been hoping Marvel would start doing, was like coming up with really cool ways to show fights because it's getting stale seeing people fight um, now that action movies are more prevalent and especially superhero ones. And then the one that you mentioned, starting upside down and spinning the camera, which I thought was, gonna, was just going to be a trailer trick um and turned out to be actually in the movie and it's so i mean it's obvious right you know the the world's flipped upside down and blah blah blah. it's it's pretty on the nose but it's a really cool move and hard to execute so i loved seeing it in the actual movie you yeah. have two you see you mentioned two great points but you were still not satisfied with the innovation. I, will, I, will, I will say that, that i mean there's one to the DP stuff, which I'd love to point by, and that the opening action sequence, while cool, is too dimly lit. You really want to be able to appreciate what what the child is doing in that scene, and you just it's just too dimly lit to really fully, you know, okay, that's cool, agree. that's cool, that's cool, yeah. Yeah, I had I I, I had a hard time with that scene because, um, yeah, I just didn't understand the sort of geography of the fight and. Um, and just how acrobatic and, and in, incredibly intense it was um, and violent. And I don't know if that's a afterthought where they were like, this is too violent, so let's just make it physically darker so you can't see it. They had a better handle on the physicality and the action abilities of T'Challa and the Black Panther in Civil War than they do in this film, which is me. I'm, I'm excited to see what Black Panther is going to look like in Infinity War with his new suit with the Russos sort of back in charge of, of, of the action or whatever, because, um, you know, I, I like the capabilities of his new suit, but in terms of the way it comes across in this movie, I prefer the old suit by far. It just, it just looks more physically imposing. Um, and, you know, there, there are times when the CGI in this, because obviously T'Challa is quite, you know, he's a, he's a, he's, you know, he's a 
he's built. And then at times when you see the new suit, and it looks he looks very very skinny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited for what the researchers are going to do with it in, in Infinity War, especially because it looks like Tony Stark's going to have like um, his own sort of nanotech in, uh, suit as well. Yeah. Well, there's also um, you know sort of speaking of other things, I noticed on the second viewing, I started to think about the fact that we've had three people die at sunset in the last movie year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and they've and and on top of it, they've all been Andy Circus movies. It's so true. There's, there's some, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so water cooler, water cooler trivia for you: three major movies: Last Jedi, Black Panther, and War of the Planet of the Apes. All had major characters die at sunset. Who is the who is the one actor that's in all three? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll have to keep that one. But it, obviously, it's a spiritual uh, moment, and I, I think that was really beautiful. And a thoughtful way to end the story, especially if you're going to give him such a powerful line like the one about the slave ships. Um, it, it, it gives that moment a little bit extra um, power uh, to be that beautiful and not just be on some train track in a cave. Yeah. And it, it shows the dimension of um, T'Challa and his compassion in a way, which is someone else mentioned this recently just about how, how great it is to see. Maybe it was you, Mike, about how leaders these kind of leaders and superheroes have this compassionate side. It's all not about killing, but it's just like, hey, there's a, another dimension to them that we finally get to see between this and Wonder Woman, actually. There's another example of this. Like, hey, it's not all about killing and moving on. It's about like recognizing that everyone deserves something, even the bad people. Now that, now that, now that you mentioned that, it actually reminded me of another thing I, I've noticed on repeat viewings, and that's just how how deaf the this, this, this screenplay is. Like, the screenplay will set up a ton of things which you won't need to know until later without making it feel like an exposition dump. That's very impressive. Like, I mean, a, a perfect example is when when Ross wakes up to Shuri. Now, that, that scene is funny, but firstly, you, you, you see Shuri working on her gauntlets, which we'll see in the final fight. We get the info that Ross is a great pilot, which we'll need for the final final fight. And we get the info about the train tracks, which is the showdown for the final fight. And none of that feels like none of that feels like exposition at all. It's a funny scene, but we still learn all of those key things. And the, there's multiple examples of that. Even that early scene with Wakabi and T'Challa with the rhino. We just, you know, we, we you know, watching that scene, we just thought, okay, rhino. But when Wakabi blows his horn, we don't know what's coming. But when we see rhino, it's like, oh, okay, that still makes sense. It's just, it's, you know, that, 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 that layering, that screenplay is just very tightly done. I was, I was very impressed. I, and it all flows together, so nothing ever feels forced. And that's just good writing. And, you know, it's not going to win an Oscar for best screenplay, but it, it, it should if, if we were only looking at Marvel movies. And um, I think that says a lot and hopefully takes us to a new level with this um, franchise, you know, like... Marvel movies can be tighter. They can be more well-written while still giving exposition in a way that doesn't feel like I'm listening to exposition. So don't let Christopher Nolan direct a Marvel movie, is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I want hey. to see that. You, you, hey. know, you, you know I'm the biggest Chris Nolan fan there is, but at least I can admit he writes exposition a lot. Yeah, that's true. true. <laughs> but, but I guess that does bring us to the sort of big-picture point we want to make 
uh, about how this movie impacts Infinity War and Marvel movies in general. Hopefully there's a little bit of a realization that scripts can be tighter and can provide questions that are answered within the movie itself, but also um, just what happens in the movie and where it ends and what is the what role would Wakanda have? Are there going to be, you know, is there going to be backlash? I mean, are they going to have a problem? I, Iron Man is going to be, Tony Stark's probably going to be pissed realizing that he could have had all this vibranium all this time. He could have been using it for technology and they've been housing it. Um, he's so be super pissed when he finds out Bucky's there. <laughs> he is. He's going to be so. But the most important one and related to our conversation is um, that it's very clear from the trailers that a major part of that movie takes place at Wakanda and involves all Wakandans. So I think that's something we should discuss is why do you think that happens? And do you think that the uh, soul stone, which is the remaining stone of the infinity gauntlet thing, um, is in Wakanda and my theory there is that uh, when Killmonger burned the garden to the ground he will have exposed the soul stone I was, I was a little bit surprised that the soul stone wasn't in this movie if only because taking care of it here would mean there's one less order of business to deal with an infinity war which is already going to be super super busy um, so I was a little bit surprised at that but um I like I like the theory that burning down the heart shaped sort of her forest would would expose the the soul stone. Um, actually, I I watched an interview with sort of Ryan Coogler answering this semi answering this question, basically saying that vibranium was already special enough, and they didn't want another MacGuffin in this movie. That's why the soul stone isn't in the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it would definitely makes sense. Um, if the soul stone was in Wakanda, it, it's, it's really interesting that you know the moment Wakanda sort of outs itself to the world, it's under invasion, <laughs> um, and you know that that would definitely be very interesting to see those effects in forthcoming Black Panther sequels, which should be greenlit, um, and Ryan Coogler or Marvel should be driving whole dump trucks filled with money to Ryan Coogler's home because you have to get that guy back. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, that's the first time I've heard that heart-shaped herb do it. I, I like it a lot. Um, it's, I was thinking, actually, about uh, the, the success of this is obviously going to make Marvel realize they need to do more with it. But I'm wondering if there's not enough time for them to make changes to Civil War because it's only out in two months. But yeah, were, they, were they already smart enough to integrate everything and have it all connect in this way or will they now realize like oh my god people are in love with this we need to integrate it more i don't know i'm curious to well, see i've i've read that the infinity war um so the production team or whatever were sort of liaising with the production team of black Panther in wakanda to see sort of okay. what they can use uh, and and where everything is for certain set pieces in infinity war um so, yeah, and, and as I say, you know, the, the trailer for Infinity War made it clear that Wakanda's going to play a big part. I mean, and it's like a good chunk of that Infinity War trailer is set in Wakanda, which is very smart. Um, so, yeah, we will see. We will see. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the roles certain people are going to play in that movie. Yeah. Sure. This also makes me wonder, are you guys more excited for Infinity War because of Black Panther? Like being as good as it is? Um, 
or were you always I was, already I was, excited? I was very excited. I mean, I, I was. I mean, I'm not. I was. I'm not as excited for Infinity War as also Black Panther. But Black Panther is like, in my 29 years on this earth, I've never been more excited for anything in my entire life. So, <laughs> um, you know. But um, yeah, no, I'm still obviously I'm very excited for Infinity War. I mean, you should have seen me the first time I watched that trailer. Uh, I got very excited. Let's put it that way. Um, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's the combination of sort of 10 years worth of storytelling. I, I see a lot of people on my time that I didn't like a Marvel sort of V-cap. I'm like, there's another Infinity War film coming out next year. Why are you doing the V-cap now? Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's going to be, it's going to finally, because another Marvel trope in Black Panther is that, is that they do that, that fake hero death thing. I don't think there's going to be a lot of fake hero deaths. I think people are actually going to legitimately die in this movie, so. which is going yeah. to be going to be very sort of hopefully very impactful. Um, what be like when Superman died in Batman v Superman? Sorry, I had to put that in. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I think it'd be very interesting to see how Marvel sort of handle that type of definitive death. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they do that. Yeah, me too. I guess I, I mean, my feeling was that I'm at this point in the Marvel world, I was more or I am more excited for the solo movies than I am for the, the team up movies. And it's not because they're not great. It's just that there's so much more exploration that can be done when it's a solo movie. And there's so much more. I mean, Black Panther being such a great example of letting the filmmaker sort of let it uh, like become something that they want to create rather than sort of at this point with Infinity where you have to have it be a representation of all the Marvel movies that have existed before. It's, there's not sort of an individual stamp that Russo Brothers can put on it, which is okay and it will still be entertaining, but that's why I'm I'm always now still more excited for the solo movies. But based on, I guess my feeling is based on what we see in Black Panther, and if it's true that Wakanda now plays a huge role in Infinity War, I'm much more curious to see how it plays out. I'm still a little bit worried about the like 50 characters that they have to integrate into this movie and how they're all going to play into it. See, I'm I'm not. See, it's, it's, <laughs> You're not concerned. It's, it's crazy. See, the thing is, this is why I'm not concerned. Back in 2012, when Avengers was coming out. I was concerned that they were trying to get six characters. <laughs> yeah. And now look where we are. You know, the Avengers and the Kyle Park. Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh man, I did two more characters. This is gonna be tough. They're not gonna part. Civil War. Oh my gosh, so many characters. Best Marvel film. So, you know, I just you know put put a hundred characters in if you know I, they're, they're fine. They're absolutely well, fine. I would say that <laughs> if it was a four hour movie, yes, I would watch four hours of a hundred characters, but like in two hours, I don't know. Here's Someone's my, gonna short change. Someone's here's my concern when you add that many characters into a movie. Has nothing to do with how do you fit them all or whatever, uh, narratively, this, that. It's I've seen movies try to show big battles. And the farther we get into CGI um, reliance, the worse those scenes get. And um, a great a great example comes to mind: the movie Alexander. Okay, you probably didn't think I was going to reference that, but um, that that movie takes a, a a literal bird's eye view, right? They follow the eagle over the battle, and it's one of the most one of the coolest, most innovative ways to show scope and scale in a battle. Um, and I loved that. And I've always been waiting for um, a movie that does a big scale war scene to handle something like that. But now we're looking at, we're going to have, we have, anytime we draw back from the action in Marvel movies or big action set pieces, 
everybody becomes a digital character. It's just, it's just the way it is now. Um, even James Bond as a single character, when they draw out from the from him riding a, a motorcycle on top of rooftops, obviously that's impossible to do in real life. So he has to be CGI. It just it never looks good, and I'm very concerned about it. That's all I'm basically getting at is. Um, when you've got these characters, like the one scene from it, from Avengers when they're all flying in the profile view. Remember that one at the beginning of um, yeah, 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 yeah. the second yeah. one, or, I guess? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It, it, looks, it, it looks like shit to me, personally. And, uh, <laughs> Tell me you were excited when you saw that in the trailer, though. Come I on. was so excited. It's such a cool trailer moment. And then in the movie, it was a huge letdown and felt like super fake and uh, yeah. and poorly Thank done you. and masked together and weird. And now we're going to have Thanos, who I have no idea what he looks like on screen. And he's going to be in the middle as we take a bird's eye view of all these characters running at them. And I don't know. Um, it's a it's it, look, this is is this a big deal in my life? No, um, but it's <laughs> it's my chief concern about Infinity War. I, I mean, it's. It's a fair point. I think the thing which has me excited about the the big battle and with Thanos is that the thing is the thing I was looking forward to in Avengers of Ultron when I first saw those trailers was that because I know from the comics and the cartoons that Ultron can go one on everyone and win, and that's what I was hoping to see in Age of Ultron, a film which I really love, by the way. And um, we didn't really get to see that because Ultron sort of made sort of duplicates of himself, but Thanos. Is another character can go one on everyone and win. And I'm excited to see, I mean, because when I think of Infinity War, I just get this visual in my head of, you know, Black Panther next to Spider-Man, next to the Avengers, next to Guardians, all together. And it just, you know, it makes my geek brain smile. So uh, if they do, I know that Thanos has his Black Order and what have you, and, you know, that'll be his sort of, you know, his cronies that the Avengers will have to deal with. But if they do some semblance of you know, all of the Avengers heavy hitters versus Thanos, one on everyone. That's something I'm very excited to see how they visualize. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, those moments are always great. Seeing all the characters you've seen together on screen, never it's never gets old. I mean, it's so fun, especially when they know that's what the audience is waiting for, so they give them a big pose moment. It's cool. It's it's fun. My favorite moment from the trailer so far is the one where it's like such a quick shot is where um, Doctor Strange builds his, uh, I don't know what they're called anymore, but the, the sh- shield <laughs> things he has. And then Iron Man swoops in behind him and grabs it. Yeah, that was And nice. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, if that's the kind of stuff we're going to be seeing in this, like that integration between characters, like, oh, oh this is going to be good. Well, it brings me to like Star Wars Rebels, where they introduced something I had never seen in the Star Wars universe that was really cool, where... Um, one Jedi can force push another Jedi to jump farther and like uh, it's a revisitation of stuff we kind of already know but putting other putting characters together to make a power that isn't one alone is a really cool innovative way to get to, to do something new with stuff we're already getting used to most of these characters have had multiple movies to update their equipment and their technology so what's left that's new, that shocks us. And I think that's where it's going to happen, combining the characters together and their powers. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking of the, the possible Thor-Hulk team-ups. Well, not Thor, um, Thor, no, Hulk-Groot team-ups, sorry. 
and yeah, that oh, just <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it just makes me just makes me get very excited again. Um, yeah, because this is this is the first time we'll see the Guardians in the yeah. mix with anyone else. The fr- I love that they're holding back so much of so that first meeting between everyone and the Guardians. Like we yeah. really haven't seen much of that at all. And I'm hoping the second trailer, which you know is just going to be out of this world, um, really really holds back because Marvel always go hard on their second trailers and. Um, yeah, I I hope that they continue to hold back on all that Guardian stuff. I, I just always have a good time seeing what they do with Hawk, Hawkeye and and Black Widow, who uh, just you know in terms of skill sets don't necessarily belong on the battlefield, uh, and and they they find creative ways to make them relevant. So I'm I am excited to see that. Um, one sort of final point as we start to wrap up, I think, would be um, where Black Panther goes from here. Because I, I, this is one of the most contained stories I think we've seen yet in a Marvel movie. Um, you know, I mean, it, it brings me a little bit back to the first Iron Man because it ends in a similar way with him outing himself. Uh, but he didn't out himself as Black Panther, right? He just outed his country. Mm-hmm. So, like, what's next? Do they have, you know, do they have an obligation to fulfill that story of providing aid and tools to other countries or do we simply go on a war dog side mission um and get into some global politicized war like especially when you think about after avengers how that changed each character's solo films and made a bigger world where you have to be like well then why didn't the other avengers just show up um it's uh i'm curious uh, what do you guys think what what happens next I really think yeah. it does depend on Infinity War and what happens. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Sorry, I'm... No, I, I mean, <laughs> I think whatever sort of, you know, because, again, Marvel would be very, very stupid not to greenlight any Black Panther sequels. Um, and what all the questions that uh, have been posed in this movie, I think they will still need to be sort of, you know, continuing to be posed in some way, shape or form in sequels because of, you know, the, you know, the stuff that you just mentioned in terms of, you know, what, what the backlash will be from the world, from the Avengers, you know, where were they, you know, um, you know, from other sort of black communities when they find out about this, you know, you know, what, what would they think of Wakanda? That's one thing. The second thing is, you know, in the comments in the cartoons, Black Panther, has been the leader of several teams and you know bearing in mind that all these guys contracts are coming to an end or whatever i could see a situation where black panther is the leader of a new squad post this sort of marvel phase um depending on what happens because there's a very popular theories about that in terms of um scarlet witch you know changing reality or whatnot and doing the reboot that way and being in the fox characters and what have you um so depending on what the state of Marvel uh, is, I could see a situation where uh, Black Panther is the new leader to be a heroic team, be it the new Avengers or Ultimates or whatever, um, which is very, very exciting to me. Yeah. This makes me think. I I wouldn't be surprised to see if one of those solo Black Panther movies involves an attack on Wakanda from the outside in in a bigger picture, because this Black Panther movie is all about the battle within Wakanda and its own internal fight. But now that it's been ex- uh, quote unquote exposed and, and ousted, I think it'll be 
Like, what if other people want to come in and attack it? Which is kind of hinted at with uh, Andy Circus character a little bit, but like that could be what a next one could be about. And then the idea of how they defend that external threat. Because it's like, okay, we have Infinity War, which is threatening all of Earth, but now in another Black Panther solo movie, what about if someone or some other external force wants to take over Wakanda specifically? It's even hinted with the, the vibranium anyway. And now that like now that they know there's these massive deposits of vibranium, of course someone's going to want it. Right. Ultimately, that I, I feel like that's what I'm getting at with the question is there is an obligation to continue to fulfill this yeah. story that they have to address the elephant in the room of Okay, well, we've, we've, we've made it clear that we know two billion people on this planet have been oppressed in some way or another, and this small group of people have the tools to fix that. I think ultimately the question is, is that fixable? And how would you fix it if you had infinite funds and, um, and future technology? I, I don't think that is a solution to the problem that was presented in this movie. And I mm. think that's going to be a really interesting dilemma that he has to face. And I think in order to fulfill that role, he's going to have to sacrifice a lot for Wakanda. And I think that's going to create um, the interesting um, conflict for the next Black Panther movie is what does his role, uh, T'Challa, in being some sort of global hero um, mean for the country that he's supposed to be the king of? Uh, mm. And that that's that's where I'm curious to see um, how it, how that happens and whether or not it means his throne gets usurped again or whether or not it just creates a sort of you know Thor political drama or whatever because he doesn't really have any other enemies right now that we know of but well we've seen in the past they certainly know how to create them from thin air so yeah <laughs> now I love that both this movie and Civil War have. You know, they, they've written their characters into into holes, uh, you know, into very difficult situations, which they'll be very, di- uh, not very difficult, but I'm interested to see how they, uh, what, what the next chapters are for all these characters. And I can't, I can't sort of see any easy path for anybody going forward, which is very, you know, it's someone who really likes Marvel and really, uh, is looking forward to all of these films is very interesting to me. That's, that's, that's sort of the sort of stuff that keeps me interested and what keeps me coming back. I want to ask you guys as a as a perhaps wrap up kind of question is what now is your favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movie? To uh, throw you this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I do this. <laughs> I do. This, I'm not sure if you see it on Twitter or anything, but I do this thing. Anytime I sort of watch a Marvel movie, I do a I update my Marvel Cinematic Universe rankings on Twitter or whatever. Uh-huh. And I, the, the, the thing with me is, you, you guys are probably going to laugh and shake your head, but <laughs> as I said, I really like Avengers Age of Ultron. And I actually think Age of Ultron is a better Avengers film than the first Avengers. And people, anytime I update my rankings, people give me so much amounts of shit about it. This is it's, all, <laughs> it's hilarious. But basically, my, my top five right now, in, in the, uh, it's Captain America Civil War, number one. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier number two, Black Panther number three, uh, and then I have Age of Ultron number four, and the first Avengers number five. That's my top five right now. Yeah. Um, and the, the only reason I put Civil War and um, Winter Soldier above Black Panther, even though Black Panther does many things slightly better than both of those movies, 
there's that the super action is a big part of the superhero movie cocktail. And super action in Civil War and Winter Soldier is fantastic. And Black Panther does have some nice does have some nice flourishes like that um, car chase scene. You should have seen me when I first saw him tilt that car. That is am- yeah. it was amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I got very excited in my seat. Um, but um, yeah, it needed more superhero flourishes like that. I think. I mean, when you think of the how the action is executed in Civil War, not only do you have the uh, airport sequence, you got that brilliant fight at the end. You got a really cool action sequence sequence at the beginning. In Winter Soldier, you got that uh, fights in the elevator. You got him doing like a one-man army in that boat. And even though, you know, people complain about sort of Marvel and like the third act explosions and, and have that big helicarrier uh, scene in the final one, that's underlined by that big emotional fight between Bucky and Cap at the end, which is, I think, amazing. Um, so, I mean, even though Black Panther is sort of better thematically because it's dealing with weightier stuff, um, it's sort of, you know, right there with the the character acting and everything else um, and makes better use of its supporting characters than any other MCU movie. I think the fact that action, whilst not whilst it's not terrible, is definitely the weakest component of the film is why it's at number three and not slightly higher. If that makes any sense. It does. Fair enough. <laughs> hey, is Nick Fury is alive, right? Yeah, well, I have a theory about that, but it's, it's, it's not for this podcast. But my, my th- my, basically, Nick Fury is a scroll. You heard it here first. Nick Fury is a scroll. <laughs> Ooh, wow. I have a theory. Okay. <laughs> I have an equation, as Vision will say. But, um, we'll revisit yeah. this if you're right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, to answer your question from me, uh, I'm having a hard time with this because <laughs> yeah, um, Thor Ragnarok was. Like one of my, uh, I I just I had such a good time with that movie, so much fun. But I only saw it once. I think it's really hard to make a decision about what's ranking movies unless you've seen everything more than once. I think Civil War is probably the best one for me. Us, um, I I hate. I will say this though. I I can't stand the on-screen location tags that they did. I made a joke about this oh, the God. other day, dude. <laughs> there's no reason to go full screen. Um, like that, especially when you have like 12 locations, but that's a different thing. Um, that aside, I think it, it, all the Captain America movies, just, they have a way about them. They just feel very tight and composed. And, and I think Bucky winter soldier, when he's winter, winter soldier is a really compelling villain and he's played really well. And these movies are all about the villain and, and that's to say that for most superhero movies, but that puts Black Panther way up near the top two, probably, probably number two for me. But like, this is what you do, right? At the, after you see a movie, if you liked it, usually it's right up there near the top. So you just, we, I think I need more time, but it'll, yeah. it'll be in the top three at least. I'm, I'm, I'm old school because I'm, some of my favorites are still the original Iron Man and the original Captain America. Um, but in terms of most recent stuff, I love Thor Ragnarok as well, and I love Doctor Strange, actually. I'm a big fan of Doctor Strange. Me too. Um, and I like Civil War. I just don't love it as much as everyone else to put it as my number one. Um, and yeah, and uh, yeah. I was, just, I was just surprised that both of your love for Thor Ragnarok. I mean, I really like that movie, but for me, 
the Marvel movies I prefer are the Marvel movies which balance have still have that humor, but still balance it with that serious tone that makes you feel the full impact of all that you need to feel. And Thor Ragnarok, it's it's hard because you know most you know you know the vast majority of the humor is laugh out loud funny, but at the same time there's things which don't really you can't really the full effect of you know what I mean because it's just you know, but by, by the time you know there's a big actual emotional scene within ten within seconds it's joking around again um <laughs> that's that's just my preference I mean I still really enjoyed that film I had a lot of fun with it but I remember feeling like even an hour after watching it I couldn't really remember yeah some big stuff that happened and even though well, I had a the stakes blast were watching it I like the stakes the stakes were too low and it felt like a glorified um let's get Hulk back movie and um, like a side mission movie, and it it, it 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 took us away from what made Thor compelling um, narratively, because he was our Shakespeare character, and we were gonna get that Shakespeare drama. Now that mantle is like over to Black Panther. There's there's not a lot at stake, and I think you're right there, and that's why long term Thor Ragnarok can't possibly be one of the best Marvel movies. But it, it might be one of my favorites just because I laughed so much and because Taiki YTD's humor is so in line with mine. But I have to remember when I look at this from a listing or, or ranking perspective, what are we ranking? Why are we doing it? Um, these are not comedies. Uh, these, are, these are like big epic stories that all have to work and have a purpose where they are. It's like reading each one's like a chapter in a book. Like the funniest chapter... It's probably not the best chapter, most important, compelling chapter of the book. Look, I agree with you. My my excuse for it is that there are other Marvel movies that do that well enough that I was happy to have a break from that and get something so fun. Right. Um, well, Spider Man didn't did a have good job to be completely too. serious. Yeah. Which that one's a weird one because I don't know whether to consider it a full proper MCU movie. I mean, we have to because it was made or it was produced by Marvel <laughs> Studios as like an agreement, but it still is a Sony movie, which just I, I still don't know where to put it in. But I I love the new Spider-Man too. It was great. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can all agree yeah. that Thor: The Dark World mostly sucked, though. Yeah. That's. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I can't. I can't agree with that. Okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's number fifteen on your list. Look, I see. The thing, I don't think Marvel has made a you know all like I don't think Marvel have made a terrible movie. Like there, there are definitely degrees to which I like each Marvel movie. But I, I, I can't say that I hated any Marvel movie. I think I gave, I gave Thor: The Dark World a very favorable favorable review the first time I watched it. I would probably drop it down a star rating. Um, if I had to do it all again now, but there's still stuff which I really, really like about that movie. Um, even though, I mean, the, the, if we're talking villains, then yes, it has you know, probably the worst villain in any Marvel movie. Um, but I was going to bring up actually on the villain point because people love, I mean, the selective amnesia sometimes. I, I get that, you know, Killmonger is definitely, you know, as we discussed, a great villain, um, probably the best MCU villain, but. People act like this is the one that has solved the villain problem. When people were saying the same thing about Spider-Man Homecoming, which had a great villain, people were saying the same thing yeah. about Captain America Civil War, which had a great villain, and even Doctor Strange, um, whilst the, the villain is a bit sort of undercooked in the film, if you actually go back and if you go, if you go and read the 
the tie-in comic, they do a lot of work with that villain, which makes him a lot more compelling. So they can use that too. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually thinking of writing a piece on it in terms of, you know, this, this whole villain problem that Marvel have had. They, they've had it solved for quite a while, I think. Yeah. I definitely do think Spider-Man, that was one that people said the exact same things they say about Killmonger about. Yep. Um, I think Killmonger's a tiny bit better, but still the similar comments about, you know, he's you, you kind of side with him. You know, he's saying good things. He's a little bit more well-rounded than any of the other villains we've seen. He's doing cool things. I love the way he was integrating the old Avengers junk. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff going on with that one. Well, and I think sure. I think the, I mean, Ultron was a really, really, really cool villain. Really well-written. Yep. Um, yes, uh, I'm so glad you said that. The people <laughs> give me so much crap. Well, oh, Mike, I mean, you understand me? Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, look, the, it's it, it's. He's he what every line of dialogue that Ultron says is fascinating. James Spader is one of the best voice actors on the planet, so it's already a, a leg up. But it, it created a problem that no villain could ever present because it's a creation of the good guy, and that made him super compelling and very important. And the only reason people I think don't like Ultron is because they associate it with the mindless drone army that it has, and. That's not really what Ultron is about. I mean, the final scene when Ultron and Vision are talking is one of the best little bits of dialogue ever in Marvel. So yes. So like, I, I you're right. I mean, look, we're on 18 movies now, right? So, so it's going to be really hard for people to remember all the things they liked and all the characters for what they are within the their own movies. But yeah, I I I love I love Age of Ultron because I love. Ultron. And I also think Vision is a really cool character, too. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Mike, I, I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. This was great to have you on, Amon. I, I really appreciate it. Um, this is awesome. This is a good discussion. Yeah, no, I think my final thought, because we haven't really discussed it much, but and I've seen some, some discourse around it online. Um, about how T'Challa is the least interesting character and so is outshone by supporting cast. I think the journey T'Challa goes on in this film is really, really interesting to me. And it's interesting because, you know, I've heard, you know, a few people, a few people comparing to Captain America. And it's interesting because Captain America is sort of these trying to stay himself when the world is changing all around him. Whereas T'Challa, the journey goes on in this, he's still retaining a core part of himself whilst, you know, seeing that he needs to change and making an effort towards changing in a, you know, uh, a way, in a manner fit for a leader. Um, and everything that he's grappling with in this film Chadwick Boseman's performance, I think he brings it to the forefront in a really compelling way. Um, you know, there's there's a couple, there's, there's, there's two or three scenes, I think, which are really, really strong. It's the scene where uh, Zuri uh, tells T'Challa the truth about what happened on that night. It's the scene where T'Challa and Nakia are talking sort of after T'Challa has found out and, you know, he's like grappling with sort of, you know, how does he look at his father now? And then when He's back on the ancestral plane for the second time. He's talking to T'Chaka and his ancestors and like, you know, telling them they were all wrong. That's a really powerful scene. And to see sort of 
to try to grapple with all of that in the film. As, as I say, I think his journey is very interesting. And though it's more introspective and less flashy, it's no less compelling. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. I think maybe it gets lost in the mix because there's so many other great characters and maybe people just put so much attention on them. But I think you've, you've made the kind of points that clearly show that even Coogler did not forget that and made sure that that, that that journey he went on was not easy for him and very powerful for him in the end, for sure. I actually, I, I do have one more thought. I just, in terms of um, this movie, the expectations placed on it, whilst understandable, were very, very unfair. In terms of every other super movie, you know, the, the, the director only has to worry about making a good movie. This movie had to worry about so many different things, and it still, for the most part, knocked it out of the park, which is great to see. But it would be nice if Hollywood started working towards a point where this type of movie is normal, so yeah. it doesn't have these sort of expectations placed on it. Because, you know, cultural moment or no, if this movie, you know, wasn't good, you know, what would that mean for, you know, s uh, stories about sort of, you know, black men moving forward? You know, it would, it would be a massive step back instead of what will hopefully be a massive step forward. Um, yep. So, yeah, it would just be nice if, you know, if, if Black Panther was as normal as an Iron Man film in the years to come. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Uh, let's do it again sometime, for sure. So um, to wrap it up, Aman, where can they find your work and where can everyone find you online? Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I'm, I've been doing some stuff for Den of Geek lately, and I'll be doing some more stuff with them. Uh, there's also uh, some work I'll be doing for, or actually I did um, a little bit of work for the Daily Mail uh, recently. This is a UK newspaper, national news, newspaper. I'm hoping we can be doing some more stuff for them as well. And there's some stuff I'll be doing for other outlets, which I can't quite talk about yet. Um, but um, you should hopefully uh, be able to look forward to my next uh, some blockbuster montage in a couple months, uh, which I'm working on now. It's a very long process, but hopefully um, it will get to where it needs to get to. Uh, so yeah, there's a, it's, it's a lot of things to look forward to on the Amonymous front. Cool. And we can get to you on Twitter too, right? What's your handle? Yes, it's at a woman. Two ends. <laughs> okay, cool. Awesome. Well, um, thanks again for coming on. And just to let our listeners know, our next show will be about the Oscars and recapping the winners. Um, after the show uh, because we want to talk about who wins and what happens and everything there. So that will be coming up in a few weeks. But for now, thanks for listening to this episode.